The title of the message this morning is Countercultural Jesus Way of Life. You know, since the Thessalonians had a faith that made some noise, it makes sense for Paul to describe the kind of lifestyle that would produce a louder faith still. The letter of 1 Thessalonians ends with easy-to-remember instructions for the Thessalonians to immerse themselves into the countercultural ways of Jesus. What did that countercultural life involve? What did it ask of them? And what does it ask of us? There are four ways the Thessalonians were to immerse themselves into the countercultural ways of Jesus. First, they were to honor their leaders. Second, they were to take the responsibility to care for one another. Third, worship together, practicing dependency on God. And fourth, they were to rest in the faithfulness of God. And so before we jump into the text, let's, let's express our dependency on God. Father, we express our dependency on you. As we look to your word, we pray that you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Help us to see that what was written for the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago is for us as well. Lord, thank you so much for what you reveal in your holy word. Thank you for your character. Thank you for the faithful instruction that you bring. Help us to lean in and to listen as if our very lives depended on it. Keep us awake both physically, spiritually. Lord, help us to engage this with everything in us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first, let's read the passage. We have uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The first thing that Paul encourages the Thessalonians to do is to honor their leaders. Honor your leaders. Well, there's a lot of skepticism and cynicism when it comes to church leadership. Many have been let down by church leaders. Feelings of betrayal or disdain brought on by infidelity and much, much more. The struggle, by the way, is not a modern one. But Paul is asking the Thessalonians to acknowledge or respect or make a note of those who work hard among you, he says, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you or who warn you or bring instruction or teach you. He says, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Now, if your leaders, if your pastors are faithfully proclaiming God's word, courageously speaking truth in love, if they're working diligently to admonish you, then he says, then, then honor them. 
It's so easy to judge or to criticize leaders, whatever their position. You know, my kids are heavily involved in flag football. And for years, I sat on the sidelines criticizing their coaches. (laughs) Until one year, I was offered to help coach. It's like herding cats. I mean, you're trying to... And you, you just got to make decisions so fast, and you know the parents on the sidelines, what they're thinking. You know, arms are folded. Yeah, let's see this. All right. What looked one way on the sidelines was completely different on the field. <laughs> you know, people have a hard time with authority, though, of, of any kind. And the thought that church leaders have a particular God-given role to walk out that involves leading, which, by the way, they will be accountable to God for, it might cause some to be uneasy. But what if we see church leaders as an expression of God's kindness and grace? They are, after all, his idea. Church leaders are called to love. They're called to lead by example. They're called to guard, to serve, to spend themselves on God's people. You know, when a church leader cares for you, and in love guides or admonishes you, Paul says, honor them. Love them. Don't don't talk about them behind their backs. Pray for them. Go to them if you have questions or issues. You know, whether or not you call local church St. Pete your home, know this. Whatever pastor you're sitting under, know that the battles they face and the weight that they carry is real. Some of it is unique to the role that they have. Well, some of it's just like the battles that you're facing today as a Christian because really that's what they are first. I love pastors. I have a lot of friends who are pastors and we years ago started this uh, network called the Local Church Network of Pastors. And so here we were gathering together and we still do. I administrate it. I lead this and, and ask different pastors in the community to lead discussion when we gather Sometimes it's a small group of three or four pastors. Sometimes we have 10 pastors in the room. The goal is to come together as friends, to build a friendship with other pastors because we're on the same mission together, preaching the same gospel of Jesus. And we know, I know, as a pastor, that I'm just first a guy trying to press into my Savior and know him and follow him and be faithful. And I know that these guys who meet with me They're the same. They're the same. Are you going to honor your leaders? Well, this is the first thing that Paul tells the Thessalonians to do if they're going to live this countercultural Jesus way of life. Honor your leaders. The second thing he says, he, he gets into the importance of taking on the responsibility to care for one another. He goes on to say, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, to cheer your leaders on as they warn those who are idle, encourage the disheartened, and help the weak. Nope, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say it that way. He doesn't say cheer your leaders on as they warn and as they encourage and as they help the weak and are patient with everyone. Actually, he expects the church to do that. He expects each one to play their part in warning, in encouraging, in helping the weak and being patient with everyone. Paul's saying, it's on you. Take ownership of the church. When I say church, I mean people. I don't mean building. Take ownership of the people that he's called you to. This speaks of mutual care, mutual influence, a responsibility that we all share, each of us doing our part, caring for one another. 
Now, sometimes we don't realize what our responsibilities are. It can happen at our job. It can happen at home when you have a newborn. Uh, Ask me. Go ahead. Ask me if I knew what my responsibilities were as soon as Silas came home. I had to think about it. I had to be reminded. But we learn as we go. And some of you are brand new to church, to the community of God's people. And that's okay. That's awesome. But you're learning your responsibility as you continue on. Some of you have been around a long time and you've forgotten or you've just stepped away from your responsibility. Whenever we take responsibility or ownership over something, it becomes a lot more important to us, doesn't it? I want you to think about this. If, if you ever rent a car, how careful are you with that compared to your car? The responsibility is going to be difficult at times. It's going to be messy at times. It's going to get complicated at times. Sometimes we're going to wonder, what did I get myself into? But when you own it, when you walk in obedience to this call, it helps to root out the things that we, the thing in particular we never think we struggle with. And what is that? It's a self-centeredness. It's an unhealthy preoccupation with ourselves, which, by the way, our culture is preaching to us that that should be central, that we ourselves should be central. But you see what we're learning here today, the countercultural Jesus way of life is, is, is spending ourselves on others. It's participating in the community of God's people in a way that looks like, well, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to get involved. We're going to be on mission together. Look what he says in verse 14. Warn those, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Pause there for a second. When was the last time you warned somebody? Maybe your kid. But what about some? It takes courage. It takes humility. And he's calling us corporately to do this. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Now, the situation in in Thessalonica, if you remember, there were some members of the church who were mooching off of others. They were taking advantage of the generosity of people in the church, and they were justifying it. They were waiting for the return of Jesus, and they, they decided while they're waiting, they're not going to work. They needed to be warned. They needed to be rebuked in a loving way. They needed to be encouraged. He goes on to say, encourage the disheartened. Who were the disheartened in Thessalonica? Could they have been shaken by persecution? Shaken by those who had died? Remember we talked about people had died in their community? Were they anxious about the return of Jesus? Who's disheartened in your life? Encouragement sometimes looks like just being present. Just listening. Not speaking. Praying with doing all that you can just to to utter a prayer that kind of semi-makes sense, a prayer that y'all might not even remember the words that you said, but just the fact that you're praying with that person who's disheartened. You see, just coming alongside somebody, speaking truth through tears. He goes on to say, help the weak. Is this physical weakness? Is this sickness? Is this moral weakness or spiritual weakness? Were they struggling with sexual purity? Probably all kinds of things. Help the weak. Don't kick them out of your community. Don't give them a hard time. Come alongside them and help them. He's calling us to this. This is the countercultural Jesus way of life. This is taking up your cross and following Jesus. This is what it looks like on the ground, right where we are. Be patient with everyone. But in parentheses, I'm sure in the Greek it says, except with your kids. 
I'm sure. Be patient with everyone. Oh, my. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, okay, I'm out. I can't do this. Uh, I can't do this. But remember what this is. This is the countercultural Jesus way of life. And, and actually, you can't do it in your own strength. Neither can I. We're empowered by the Spirit, by the very presence of God. Do, do you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These attributes that we're to show as we embrace Jesus as King, as we show our allegiance to Him in our everyday life, we're not going to do it perfectly, but as we live this Spirit-led life, leaning on Him for strength, trusting in His grace, not forgetting the mercy He's had on us, we're going to show mercy and love towards others. All of a sudden, we're going to start showing love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control towards others. And then on top of that, when we start to pray for it, God, would you show through me your beauty and glory, the presence of your spirit. And then when we gather together, what happens? That's just ratcheted up. The world will know your disciples of Jesus by your love for one another. That's how they're going to know. You can have a beautiful building. You can have all the logos and banners that you want. What sets us apart? How, are the, how, how is anyone going to know what we're about? It's our love for one another. We were never meant to do this alone. God's mission has always been the church, together, loving one another. It's a countercultural Jesus way of life. He goes on to say, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong or evil for evil. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Now you might say, ah, but if someone talks down to me, watch out. Because ain't nobody disrespecting me. Oh yeah, why not? Why not? What if somebody disrespects you? If you're wronged, we're called to not pay back wrong for wrong. And I know all the movies we watch, the main character, it's always him or her getting revenge on their enemies, right? And we're like, yes, (laughs) we're cheering them on. Where do you draw the line and say this far and no more? This far and then... I'm going to let them have it. What does it look like instead to entrust yourself to the one who judges justly? What did I just say? What does it look like to entrust your life and your circumstance to the one who judges justly? And who is that? It's God. It's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Everything about his trial was was an act of injustice. He was entrusting himself to the Father because the Father judges justly. What's it like to take up our cross and follow Jesus? What's it like to walk in love? What is it like to turn the other cheek? What is it like to not pay back wrong with wrong or evil with evil? We're starting to see what the countercultural Jesus way of life looks like on the ground. We're going to our and we're going to struggle. We're going to struggle. Someone's going to wrong us very soon. 
and we're going to want to pay back wrong with wrong. And we have to pause, and we have to ask the Lord to give us the grace and the strength to not pay back wrong for wrong and to be motivated by the right things, not because we're better than that person, but because we've been loved by God, forgiven of our sin, lavished grace on us. It's all the little things in life, right? You know, my kids have been struggling in the morning. I asked if I could share this. It's like when they, they meet, they're getting their bowls of cereal. It's like they're two cats that have just met in the alley, staring each other down. Backs start to raise up. Like, what just happened? I mean, you just woke up. Nothing. You guys didn't even say anything to each other. So the last three days, I've just been, I've been assigning them this passage. <laughs> Just read this passage as you're eating that bowl of cereal, staring each other down. We need to be reminded, what does it look like to be consistent in our faith? What does it look like to live this countercultural Jesus way of life? So as followers of Jesus, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us, which means that we have what we need to come alongside others in their pain, to sit with them, to pray for them, to challenge them. So have you ever warned somebody? I remember sitting with someone at, with someone at Starbucks uh, years ago, someone who is in my life presently, and not knowing if this person was going to punch me or leave after I said what I had to say to them in love. And uh, I just never was going to see him again. To this day, he thanks me for that conversation. It was hard. And in fact, he left, and I, I didn't know if I was ever going to see him again. It didn't end like the way I had hoped. But I said what I believed God had put on my heart to say to him, and he had to hear it, and it was very, very difficult to say to him. And the Lord used it. Praise God, he used it. But as we warn, as we encourage, as we help, as we walk in patience, it's all part of that countercultural Jesus way of life. Now, you might be sitting here uh, with some guilt, aware that you haven't been walking these things out faithfully. Maybe you're burdened by this guilt, and maybe you have anger in your heart towards a brother or sister in Christ in this room. Maybe there's some unforgiveness or even feelings of just inadequacy, like, I can't do what you're asking me to do. How could I care for others when I'm struggling this way, when I have this anger in my heart or this bitterness? Let me ask you, has this guilt been preventing you from walking out the kind of life Jesus has called you to walk out? It has a crippling effect. Or maybe you're afraid of how someone might respond to you if you stepped out the way this passage is calling you to. Fear can have a crippling effect. Warn, encourage, help, be patient with everyone. Don't pay back wrong for wrong. Oh my goodness. The countercultural Jesus way of life, it calls us to put others first, to love others in the face of our own struggles, in the midst of our own shame, in the face of our own fear. You know, if I'm afraid of how someone might respond, if I'm afraid that I'll, I'll never, if I'm afraid I'll never have what it takes to care for them, if I refuse to walk out this role, guess what? I'm going to bow out. I'm going to check out. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do this faithfully. I'll just follow the cultural norms of the day. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to work at loving myself. I'm going to work at protecting myself. Right? I'm going to justify keeping everyone at arm's length because I, I need my own space. I need to protect me. 
I need a little bit of me time. But if Jesus is my joy, listen, if Jesus is my acceptance, if he's my security, if I believe that his death and resurrection has won my freedom and made me new, has brought me life and a new identity in him that can't be tampered with, then I can walk alongside others unafraid of their rejection. Then I can walk alongside others unafraid of messing everything up. And it begins by seeing Jesus for who he is and believing what he's called me to do. He's going to do it. He's going to use me. It might begin for you with repentance, which is, again, a countercultural Jesus way of life. Owning up to what you've not been doing. Asking for forgiveness. He'll forgive. And then moving forward with a new life, a new lifestyle. We're talking about being immersed in a countercultural Jesus way of life. The third thing that Paul exhorts the church to do is worship together, practicing dependency on God. You see what he says in in verse 20? Not in verse 20, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. Have you ever memorized something to the tune of a song? I mean, I remember memorizing the Greek alphabet to the tune of, I'm a little teapot. Don't ask me to sing it. I'm not going to. But the hope is for things that we commit to memory to be recalled at a moment's notice, right? Now, I wonder, did Paul want these passages to become these memory aids that they've become? They've become that for me. They're short. It's just a short, punchy list that he's, he's ending his letter with. I believe that these could be committed to memory. And they could just nudge our our hearts and our minds to remember what we're called to. You see what he says here? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Worship is the final way to replace the idols of your heart. It's it's a way to push against that preoccupation with self. You know, you're going to go beyond the mere acknowledgement. Like, okay, I struggle with finding my identity in my job or in my relationships rather than Jesus. Or, okay, I'm struggling with laziness and self-centeredness. No, when you worship, it involves you just adoring and depending on the one true God of all, which is what the Thessalonians were known for. They had turned away from idols, and they had turned to the living and true God. So this is what worship does. It increases our dependency on the Lord. It pushes against the idolatry of self and all these other things that crowd our lives. He says, be joyful always. You know, I was, I was ticked earlier this week, and this passage was banging around in my head, and I thought, come on, be joyful always? But then it hit me. This joy isn't circumstantial. This joy is rooted in something bigger than that. It's rooted in something bigger than my circumstance. It's rooted in something bigger than what I was ticked off at. It's rooted in Jesus and the hope I have in him that I've been declared righteous in God's eyes through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's where my joy is rooted, and nothing can shake that. No circumstance can shake that. And he says, pray continually. This is about relationship. This is, about, uh, this is as, as much of an invitation as it is a command. It's an open-door policy to go before God anytime. I want it to be the knee-jerk reaction to life circumstances. Something happens, I want to be able to just to pray. A couple words, acknowledge his presence. 
acknowledges nearness. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. This isn't the denial of difficult or painful circumstances at all. Please hear me. But it is taking what you know is true of God and thanking him for that. Christians should be marked by thankfulness. He says, for this is God's will for you in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Now, he goes on to talk about prophecy because he's talking about worship. And he's speaking to the whole church. And prophecy is this common practice in the church, in especially the early church and, and still today, where people are speaking what you believe the Lord has put on your heart or has spoken to you. This is not scripture. It's for encouragement. It's for exhortation. It's for the building up of others. It's not on the level of God's word. It's speaking a word of encouragement to a brother or sister. Now, were some in Thessalonica talking about the return of Jesus in a way that wasn't true or helpful? Were some speaking uh, words of prophecy to justify their behavior? They could have been. And so Paul says, don't despise prophecy. Test it. Test it. Now, how do you test it? Does it line up with the teachings of Scripture? Does it line up with the teachings of Jesus? And is it helpful? Is it actually edifying? Does it build up the body of Christ? Finally, he calls the church to this countercultural Jesus way of life by reminding them to rest in the faithfulness of God. I want you to rest in the faithfulness of God this morning. I want to rest in the faithfulness of God. Look what he says in verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May you, your whole spirit, soul, and body, every part of you, be, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and listen, he will do it. So Paul's closing prayer echoes his major concerns from the start in this letter. He was concerned for the Thessalonians, for their personal holiness. He wanted them to walk a holy life, pleasing to the Lord. He was concerned about their participation and understanding of the return of Jesus. And he was concerned about their comfort in the midst of persecution. And he addresses each one of those areas in this final prayer. And he says, God is going to do this work in you. Behind your new faith in Jesus, behind your countercultural Jesus way of life, is God's faithfulness. He is going to see you through. He's at work and will continue to be at work. He's going to do this. The idea, listen, the idea has never been you and I need to strive hard to behave in a way that pleases God with fingers crossed, hoping for the best. Hoping that somehow our good behavior outweighs our bad. That is not the way forward. The way forward is being humbled by God's grace and love and being rooted in what we know is true about Jesus and, and moving forward with a gratitude and with a desire to please the Lord. Not believing that our, our, our moving forward in pleasing him is what accepts us before him. We've been accepted through Christ. All by faith who look to Jesus are accepted. All whose sins have been forgiven, it's done. And now we stand before the Father and we're called to live a life honoring him, worshiping him, pleasing to him. That's a big difference. Look what he says to the Philippian church, the church of Philippi. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, he says something very similar. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, verse 12, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order, in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see what he says here to the Philippians? It's similar. He says, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but know this, as you work, know that God is at work. 
So there is effort that you are to put forth, that you're to put forward. But know this, as you work, God is at work. The faith you have is a gift from his hand. And now, get this, as you take each step to walk out faithfully the call that he's given you in the community he's put you in, know this, God is behind you. He's got your back. He's got your back. He's going to do this. He's going to work in and through you. Lean on him. Rest on him. Brothers and sisters, he says in verse 25, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. From now on, we are going to just kiss each other. (laughs) Cubans already do that. We are are not. This is a cultural thing for them back then. Feel free if you want to, but let me move on. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace, the grace, the unmerited, the undeserved and unearned favor and kindness of God. The grace, the unearned and undeserved favor of our Lord Jesus the King be with you. The Thessalonians had a faith that made some noise. Now, their faith had become known everywhere, and now, through this letter, it has become known in St. Pete. And Paul leaves them with a description of the kind of lifestyle that would produce a louder faith still. Now, don't you want that for your life? A louder faith still. Some of this feels very just every day, right? But that's what it, that's what it is. It's living out our faith just in the mundane details of life, the stuff of life and relationships, We've received a lot of instructions here, but this isn't just a grocery list of instructions that he's given us at random. It's a call to a countercultural Jesus way of life. Don't you want to be immersed in this culture, the culture he's describing here? Are you? Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for what you have taught us through Thessalonians chapter 5. Thank you for this beautiful book where we've received so much instruction about what it looks like in our day-to-day lives to live for you. There's a lot that we've received here. Lord, we pray that we would uh, be moved by it, be moved to walk this out with our eyes fixed on you, eyes of faith, that you're at work, that you're going to do this in and through us. We want to be a community filled with people that are warning and coming alongside and helping and being patient with and not paying back wrong for wrong. A community marked by the love of God expressed in Jesus. Father, we pray that you would do this in us. If anyone's here, Lord, today that has been struggling with guilt, that has been kind of sitting on the sidelines and not pressing in, not getting involved in in relationships because of past experiences or maybe just present fear or guilt, Lord, would you please... Lead them to a place of sweet repentance and help them to rejoice in what is true of you. Lead them to a place of seeing, God, what you've called them to. Lord, lift all of our eyes to see that all of this is something that you've called us to do by faith with our eyes fixed on you. We give you thanks. Amen.